Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. The doctrine of election ought to greatly encourage you to evangelize. You know why? Because Peter is telling us they're out there. The elect are out there waiting. God is waiting for them to be saved. And God is going to use us to bring them to faith in Christ. We're the ones who are going to share the gospel. Nobody bypasses uh, someone sharing with them. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You and I are the ones who God will use to lead them to Christ. That's why it's so encouraging. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. We are studying the return of Christ, a belief that is controversial in some circles, but one that is clearly taught in the Bible. That's especially true for the passage we are in now, 2 Peter chapter 3. Pastor Steve has been ministering at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida for over 25 years. His practical messages and expository or verse-by-verse teaching methods make these lessons a valuable tool for many of us who want to know more about the Word of God and how it applies to us personally. For more than a week now, we have been digging into the truths found in 2 Peter chapter 3. Today's lesson is the conclusion of a three-part message. In our last class, Pastor Steve told us about two particular truths found in this chapter. One is that God has a completely different perspective when it comes to time. That's how Peter could say that God is not slow, even though we have been waiting 2,000 years for the return of Christ. For God, 2,000 years is not a long time at all. The second truth has to do with the doctrine of election. The election of believers is tied in with God's patience and is the reason he has waited so long to return. Pastor Steve will review that concept as we start our class today and then move on to the effect these truths ought to have on our lives. Now, I want you to see that he is patient toward you, meaning believers. The reason Jesus Christ hasn't returned to judge sinners yet is because God is being patient towards you, meaning the Lord's people, because it is, it, it is his will that not any of the Lord's people perish. That's who he's talking about, not the world in general. This is that great doctrine of election. And I don't understand that. For 30 years, I've been studying the Bible and still don't understand that. I wrote a book on Romans 9, 10, 11 that deals with this, and I still don't understand it. And I don't expect I'll ever completely understand it until I get to glory, but I'm not going to distort the scriptures. That's what God says, and it is a doctrine of mercy. See, this is why people have a problem with They think, oh, that's not fair of, of God that he would choose some and not others. It's not fairness. You don't look for fairness in the doctrine of election. If God was fair... To everyone in that doctrine, we'd all be going to hell. It is his mercy that he has chosen some. Don't look for fairness there. In other words, what Peter is saying is this. God is patient towards those he has chosen to be saved because it is not his will that any of the chosen perish. The elect will never perish. 
Why? Because rather than returning to earth to bring judgment on unbelievers, God has been withholding his wrath, patiently waiting for those he has chosen to repent and be saved. That's who he waits for. Not everybody. Listen, the Lord has been so patient and so merciful to us, to believers, to us. He's chosen us. We, when we were born into this world, we deserved the first breath we took. We deserved judgment. We were sinners back then. When that doctor slapped you, that, that rude awakening into this world, right at that moment, we deserved judgment. But he didn't judge us. And he, he didn't return while we were infants and, and couldn't figure out the gospel and couldn't be drawn to Christ. He didn't return to deal in wrath with us before we were saved. He patiently endured your sinful thoughts, my sinful thoughts, sinful attitudes, sinful behavior, constant rebellion. He did that while he graciously worked in our lives, calling us to Christ, giving us understanding, bringing about repentance and faith, which is a gift from God. From our perspective, we thought one day it all came together in our minds, but it was because God granted that to you. Your minds and my minds not capable of figuring this out. Our minds were affected by the fall. We, we can't figure it out. And even if we could figure it out in and of ourselves, we certainly would not and could not repent. Dead people can't repent. We're spiritually dead. God has been so gracious, so merciful, and he continues to be patient towards the elect so that each one he's chosen will eventually turn from their sin to Jesus for salvation. That's what this is about. And that's why Jesus hasn't returned. Not because he's slow, not because he tarries, but he's giving the elect the time to be saved. And they will. And someday Jesus is going to return. Once the elect of all of this age have all placed their trust in Christ, he will come back. And verse 10 tells us, what it will be like, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with the roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Now, I want to wait until the next time we study Second Peter to examine this verse, because I, I want us to think through some of the implications of what we've studied this morning. There are some important things that we need to uh, uh, apply to our lives because we've studied some very critical truths about God's character. One, his view of time being different than ours. Secondly, his patience towards the elect. How do these truths that we've learned now affect the way we live? Let me offer you three suggestions. First of all, just like Peter's readers, we also have our trials and our heartaches, don't we? We go through suffering. We struggle with impatience, just like they did. We struggle with restlessness. We, we want the Lord to come and deliver us from our trials yesterday. We don't, we don't really enjoy going through this. We would much prefer to be absent from this body, to be present with the Lord, for Jesus to come back, for it to all be over. But though we are in time and God is beyond time, we still need to have an eternal perspective. We still need to see things from, through the lens of Scripture and from God's perspective, we still need to see things as he does. And that means we need to see our trials in light of the eternal glory that awaits us. That's what puts things in perspective. And this is how the Apostle Paul triumphed over, over his difficulties and his trials. I don't think that there's ever been a Christian who has suffered like the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians, I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And Lord willing, when we finish 
Second Peter, we're going to study Second Corinthians. There might, might be a brief series in between. But we're going to look at Second Corinthians for several reasons. But one reason is that uh, Paul is the most personal of all his letters. He is most personal in Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians tells us some things about not only the Lord, but about the heart of the Apostle Paul, the ministry, uh, like no other book that he that he wrote. And I want you to see a little bit of Paul's trials and, and how he put them in perspective. Verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Paul says that we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. If that was all that Paul wrote, uh, we'd say, well, I could relate to that. I've, I understand, but he didn't. He, he wrote in chapter 11. Chapter 11 tells us really what all that Paul went through. Notice chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. Now he's talking about false teachers in that church. And so he says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. And now he defends himself. He, he defends that he's a real servant of Christ because look what he's gone through for the gospel. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews, meaning the Jewish religious leaders, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day, a night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, those are just the external things he's telling us. He says, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Paul didn't have one church to be concerned about. He had all the churches. He says in verse 29, who's weak without my being weak? Who's led into sin without my intense concern? Paul says, let me tell you, here are the externals. But internally, when people aren't walking with the Lord, I hurt for them. When they fall into sin, I am crushed for them. So Paul certainly suffered greatly, greatly. But I want you to go back to 2 Corinthians 4 and notice, notice how Paul viewed these problems, these heartaches, these trials. How did he, how did he endure all of this? How did he keep his sanity? Verse 17, for momentary light affliction. Did you get that? He called what I just read to you momentary and light. For momentary and light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Paul viewed his ordeals as momentary, brief, and very light because he looked beyond this life to the future glory with Christ. He chose to have an eternal perspective, and you must make a choice. That's why verse 18 says this, while we look not at the things which are seen, Paul said, that's not what I'm concentrating on. It's not what I'm focusing on. But at the things which are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporal. They're just temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul said they're just momentary. They're just light because Paul had an eternal perspective. So you don't want to focus on your troubles. Yes, admit them. Yes, recognize them. We don't hide our heads in the sand and say, well, I don't believe they're really happening to me. I'm just imagining they are. No, they're real. They're real. But if you have an eternal perspective, they'll be light to you. They'll be momentary. 
That's how you and I need to deal with trials as we await the return of, of Christ. Choose to see things as God sees them. The trials are brief and the eternal glory is forever. My wife tells me that her father had a saying when she was a little girl. If she fell and skinned her knee, or if someone hurt her feelings, he'd tell her, you know, if you don't tell your grandchildren about this, I'll bet they'll never know. He was teaching her to take a longer view on life. What seems like a huge deal to us now in the eternal scheme is over in a blink of an eye. Knowing that doesn't magically make everything easy, but it gives us a perspective that will keep us from despairing when we go through tough times. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you just tuned in, we would like to welcome you. I hope you can stick around for the rest of class. We like to think of Verse by Verse as a radio Bible class. In fact, if you're in a position to do so, we would encourage you to take notes and follow along in your own Bible. Pastor Steve has been leading us in a study of 2 Peter chapter 3 and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today's lesson is the conclusion of his third message from that chapter. But it's not the conclusion of the study because there is plenty more we can learn from this chapter. Pastor Steve said there are three ways that the things we've been learning can affect our lives. We just learned that if we have an eternal perspective, it helps us endure the trials of life more patiently. Now, here is Pastor Steve with the other two ways that these truths can impact us. There is a second implication from Peter's teaching, and it's this. And I think it ought to greatly encourage us. Encourage us to witness and share our faith. And that may sound strange to you because there are those who would, who would say that if you teach the doctrine of election, people won't have an evangelistic zeal. After all, why should they go out and share their faith? Why should they be involved in missions? Why should they even care about evangelism if God is going to save the elect? And so oftentimes uh, people distort the doctrine of election. That is, that is just a wrong application. That's just really uh, absolutely incorrect. It ought to encourage you. The doctrine of election ought to greatly encourage you to evangelize. You know why? Because Peter is telling us they're out there. The elect are out there waiting. God is waiting for them to be saved. And God is going to use us to bring them to faith in Christ. We're the ones who are going to share the gospel. Nobody bypasses uh, someone sharing with them. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You and I are the ones who God will use to lead them to Christ. That's why it's so encouraging. It was Charles Spurgeon who greatly believed with all of his heart in the doctrine of election and uh he once said, you know, if, if all the elect had a, a yellow stripe on their backs, then evangelism would be very simple. We would just go around picking up people's shirts, looking at their backs, and if uh, they had, you know, a stripe, we'd witness to them. But it doesn't work like that. We share with all. But I want you to look at Acts chapter 18. This is so incredibly wonderful and relevant. Acts chapter 18, Paul's experience. In Acts 18, Paul is in the city of Corinth. It was a difficult ministry. Paul had been beaten and sort of chased out of every town he had been in, and trouble was erupting here. And so there was fear and concern on his part. So in chapter 18, verse 9, at night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. The Lord said to Paul in, in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. 
He said to Paul, don't stop preaching. Keep speaking. I know you're afraid, but keep speaking. Why? Verse 10, this is great. For I am with you and no no man will attack you in order to harm you. Now watch this. For I have many people in this city. What do you mean many people? There's hardly anybody who's a believer. What he means is I have many people who are the elect, who you don't know who they are, Paul. And they're going to come to faith in Christ at your preaching. So keep preaching. That's the great truth. They didn't have people there. They didn't have a big church. They didn't have a group of believers there. May have been a few, but but the Lord says, I have many in this city. So don't be silent because, Paul, you're going to be the instrument. You're preaching to reach the elect. And I say that to us. That's how the elect are saved. Only you and I don't know who the elect are. They may be the person you're going to sit next to on an airplane. They may be your neighbor. It may be someone you work with. They may be a friend. You don't know who they are. So you preach the gospel to all because they don't have a yellow stripe running up and down their backs. But that's that's great. You know, some of us have been sharing our faith for years or maybe you haven't shared. Because you're you're, you're concerned, well, maybe they won't believe and nobody or, or I'm, I shared. I used to share a lot. And nobody came to faith. In Christ, I have, I have no fruit to, to show for it. But this truth tells us that you will, you can have fruit. They're out there. The elect are there. We just don't know who they are. So make sure that, that your belief in election doesn't weaken your evangelistic zeal. It ought to intensify it. It ought to intensify it. Lord, lead me to the elect. Lead me. Now, there is a third truth that emerges from these verses, and it's this, that God has been so merciful to us. He, he ought to get your praise because he's been so incredibly merciful to us. Though we deserve his wrath, God has withheld it so that we would have time to be saved. That, that's incredible. Not just for an impersonal group of elect people, but for you individually, for me. If you are still not a Christian, then I want you to know he's giving you the opportunity to repent. And you may wonder, well, how do I know I'm elect or not? There's only one way to know. Call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. If you have a desire to come to faith in him to save you from your sins, to forgive you of your sins, then you are the elect. The only way you'll know if you've been chosen to salvation, repent of your sin. What does repentance mean? Peter says he's called us to repentance not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Repentance means a turning away from your sin. You turn from your sin and you turn in faith to Jesus Christ. It it works together. You can't believe in him and keep your sin. It doesn't work like that. You don't come to him on your terms. You come on his terms. You turn from your sin. You turn sin that you're aware of. Certainly, if God showed us all of our sin in a moment of time, we'd all drop dead of heart attacks immediately. But he shows us what we need to, at least at that point, repent of. You turn from your sin, you turn to Jesus Christ, and you place your trust in Christ as the one who died for you on the cross, paid all of your sins, the full penalty of your sins. So therefore, the moment you trust him, God says, I don't, I don't have to send you to hell. I don't have to punish you because you have embraced the substitutionary punishment of Jesus Christ on the cross, and God graciously forgives you. If you've never trusted him as your Savior, then I invite you to do that today, because you don't know if you have tomorrow. You don't know what a day will bring. You don't know if you're the elect. And don't tempt the Lord 
your God. Don't tempt him. Don't test him, but call on him today. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then, man, you ought to be excited about sharing your faith this week. And you ought to be thrilled to keep things in eternal perspective. He is coming back. He's not slow about it. He's patient. Let's bow for prayer. I'm going to give you the opportunity in a moment to speak to the Lord. But I say, if you've never put your trust in Christ, today ought to be the day of your salvation. And if you are one, I say you ought to be praising God right now that he's been so patient and merciful and with a new, renewed commitment to share your faith. The Lord has many people out there and he's going to use you to bring them and introduce them to the Savior. I'll give you a few moments to speak to him and then I'll close. Father, thank you this morning for revealing to us some truths that maybe we didn't know before today. That you are beyond time, that you see things differently than we do, not only in the deep, great theological truths of the return of Christ, but in our own lives, Lord, that you've never made a mistake. You're not capable of making a mistake. And, and even though we grow impatient at times, your will is always right. Your timing is always right. Thank you for that. Encourage those who are going through some, some seriously difficult times now and, and being impatient and restless. May there be a, a rest in you because they know that your way is right. Lord, I thank you that you have not tarried and you will never tarry. You will never delay. You are just patient. Holding back your wrath until the last of the elect come to faith. And Lord, even in our own midst, we don't know who the elect are in terms of those who have not trusted Christ, but we pray that those who hear the message from this pulpit, I pray that you'll draw them to yourself, that they would come to faith. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be evangelistically zealous, not in, in an obnoxious, overbearing way, but in a sensitive way, in a godly, gracious way. Help us to have a renewed commitment to share the faith. And I pray that as we go through difficulties and trials, I pray for that one who's going through something so severe now that uh, it's just heartbreaking. I, I pray that you'll help them to be encouraged to know that it's only momentarily, it's light compared to the glory that awaits them. And I pray that you'll help them, Lord, to keep that in perspective and to be encouraged by those truths. So, Father, we, the word has been presented. Now use it to bring honor to Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I hope you'll tell somebody about it. If you've never repented and accepted the payment Christ made on your behalf, I would encourage you to do so without delay. If you already are a believer, isn't it amazing to think that God has taken such an interest in you and me that he has scheduled the return of Christ at a time late enough to give us the opportunity to be saved? That is pretty amazing. When you consider how undeserving we are and how infinitely mighty God is, that should start to give us a hint at the amazing grace that John Newton celebrated when he wrote his famous hymn. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside since 1981. If you find yourself in the Clearwater area on a Sunday morning and have no place to worship, we would like to invite you to come visit us. 
Lakeside Community Chapel is at 1893 Sunset Point Road. That is midway between U.S. Highway 19 and the beaches. Pastor Steve's messages are made available in radio format under the direction of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of interested listeners who have first been faithful to their own churches. If you would like to hear today's broadcast again, it is available at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Also on the website, you'll find a link to our archives page where previous classes are also available. We even offer a free podcasting service so you can make sure to catch all the lessons. That's versebyverseradio.org. As I mentioned earlier, today's class was the conclusion of a three-part message. If you would like to hear the entire message at once, without announcements, you can order an audio CD. Please call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. The number again, 727-441-1714. We hope you can join us next time for another verse-by-verse radio Bible class as we continue to harvest the wonders that are found in 2 Peter chapter 3. to give you strength between turbulent times call for clear-headed insight that's hard to come by these days especially on tv that's where we come in salem news channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place people you know and trust like dennis prager eric metaxas charlie kirk and more unfiltered unapologetic truth find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on local now channel 525